welcome to the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Comero. I am joined by Shane Nash, and we are recording the morning after Louisville. I was considering doing it immediately after, but I thought, you know what? There's a lot that happened. There's a lot that's being talked about. Might as well get uh, another look at it and see really what I think. So it's pretty close to a uh, kind of an immediate recording after the game, but not quite. Shane, I assume that all we're going to talk about is the fact that Zion plays on Wednesday, right? Just a whole Zion pod? designing that that would be cool <laughs> so so basically the, the big news right now is we got uh brandon engram just scored 49 two games ago we got uh okay just, just I'm, I'm just gonna reel down these points zero 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 seven six five two five three eleven five six six two thirteen zero five five three 30. A Duke player in the NBA, those are his game log points. Take a wild guess who that is. The 30 was last night. Um, Frank Jackson. Gary Trent. Gary Trent oh, wow. put up a 30-burger. Good for him. For Port- I think everyone's injured on Portland, um, but uh, at the same time, hey, he, he was productive with his time, but it's just crazy because, like, you got 0, 5, 5, 3, and 30, and you and – I'm sure everyone heard all those zeros before. So Gary Trent coming out of nowhere, it's like that. It's like the end of the season where like half the half the teams are just like tanking and just random stuff happens. But hey, he also had uh, let's see, he had five rebounds, he had three steals, he had a block. I I, I was saying like man, I, I remember doing the uh, the draft preview pod in that year and say Gary Trent man, he has a lot to show that he's one of the guys I respect him to just kind of speak your mind, he was saying, like, Duke didn't use me uh, to my to the best of my capabilities. I could have done more, but I just did what Coach said. But, I mean, he was very clear. It wasn't a disrespect of K, but and the same Wendell Carter did the same thing. I respect that, man. Full disclosure, I agree with him, and I wasn't afraid to say that during the, during the season. But anyway, all right, we got to talk about Louisville. And uh, Louisville, yeah, they lost two in a row, but... The world's not ending. We are not chicken little uh, skies falling types, or at least I'm not. Hopefully you're not. I'll, I'll just ask you, before we, we go down any sort of specifics, what are just your basic thoughts from Louisville? Uh, just uh, sort of a, a general frustration with the way they started the game. Kind of seemed flat, but uh, they, they ended up showing uh, a lot of fight, and I was really happy they found a way to get back into the game, some questionable shot attempts down the stretch, but they fought to get back into the game, and that's all you can really ask is for the good effort. So, I've heard that. What other games have there been? I'm kind of – because Ken Palm, they actually do it like football where they break it down into quarters. or not. I mean, it's like they – you know what? Men's college basketball is the only level of any basketball, man or woman, that does – halves and i've said like i have no idea i think it's just because that's the way it is like i've had different people on like national guys local media guys like uh, random guests i'm just like why is that why is it that way and they're just like because it is so there's really no reason so but anyway um so kempom breaks it down in a quarter so i'm looking at like the first quarter because you're not the first person to say the dukes what other game have they started slow i'm sure they have but virginia tech was a pretty slow start because they ended up having to come back in that one. Uh, 
I mean, first quarter there, they were down 22-17. Huh. Well. I, don't, I don't know. It wasn't like to quiz you or anything. Like, it's just I have heard that. So I'm trying to kind of – I mean, Georgia Tech – first quarter 18 to 14 over duke but it's not like they're getting run off the court or anything and but you'd like to see a few games where they're you know uh outscoring the opponent by five to ten points over the first first ten minutes but it seems like it takes them a while to to really get going and get find their flow and rhythm and that's okay but again and against louisville it didn't work out very well yeah, I mean, Cassius Stanley's been that type this season where for, like, the first uh, – all the way up until he got injured, I believe that was Winthrop, he was a huge second-half guy. He really didn't do anything in uh, the first half, and then the second half he would just explode. As we'll talk about, Matthew Hurt has been pretty much the opposite of that uh, this season. But, yeah, in terms of Duke starting slow, maybe it's because – they are so dependent on uh, their defense to create for them. So when they don't start out with immediate intensity, it can kind of linger on. Obviously, when they're at their best, they just kind of trample teams immediately, like Miami, like Wake Forest. So, uh, yeah, it is a lot based on intensity. And kind of related to that, I think the narrative is, or going into this game, which I would consider lazy, has a lot to do with uh, something you would think would lead to more intensity at the start. It was how angry everyone was after uh, Clemson, how angry the players were, how they had a chip on their shoulder. This isn't this isn't the way we play. Like we 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 have something to prove now. Every cliche you can imagine, and then and then so so everyone's thinking like, oh yeah yeah they're just gonna come out right away, and just pedal the metal. Didn't happen like that, and maybe they were overpressing. Kind of, but at the same time, I think it really comes down to these narratives are damn near meaningless. And the cliches are damn near meaningless. That's me. I understand there's, I mean, I say this every pod where there's human elements. Of course they come into it. I'm not saying it's all like on a clipboard. That's the whole thing. Like they're human beings, especially 18 to 22 year olds, most of them. So uh, I would still consider it next to worthless, though. Um, I think the weirdest thing coming out of uh, the Clemson game was kind of how the Clemson had nothing to do with it, and it was all Duke-related. It's just Duke didn't do its thing. It, like, nothing had to do with Clemson. And then Louisville, it was all about how, like, Louisville, like, they, they, were, they were so good, and they, like, we, we did well. But, like, I don't know. And what I'm saying, like, the Clemson – Stuff that was uh, from Trey and it was from Coach K. In terms of the reaction to Louisville, I'm basing that more on Coach K. I haven't heard any of the player quotes, but it's really odd because I would consider it the opposite. I would say Clemson played extremely well, and I was saying that uh, after that game, how Clemson really did a lot of stuff just Duke didn't have an answer for, and I don't think it was just Duke wasn't doing his thing. Like they, there were issues that had been. Uh, Visible before, but not to the extent. Louisville Duke just pretty much did it to themselves. And I'm not sure. I mean, Louisville played really well. But at the same time, I would say Duke was its own worst enemy, especially at the start. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. One thing I noticed throughout the game was that it seemed... Like, our defense against Louisville was pretty good in the half court, and Louisville's offense 
had a didn't look nearly as fluid as Clips's offense did. Uh, but a lot of Louisville's points came in transition off of turnovers, especially in the first five to seven minutes of the game. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was what Louisville was doing. And then it always comes down to uh, something I was talking about after Stephen F. Austin. Were they, did Stephen F. Austin really force all the turnovers or were they unforced? Like how much pressure was there on Duke? Was Duke just making dumb decisions? Stephen F. Austin, I thought that was a lot of really, really dumb decisions out of nowhere. And I still don't understand how people include that and then just like Stephen F. Austin forced a lot of turnovers. I think it's just based on the stat that Stephen F. Austin generally forces a lot of turnovers. But I would say there is a similarity to that against Louisville. But at the same time, it was all these awful post entries and it was it was the same combination I talked about after Clemson, where sometimes it was just really a bad post entry. That's all it had to do with. Sometimes it was a bad angle. Sometimes it was Carey not sealing off. Uh, sometimes it was Carey not being able to get position because he was being doubled or was too too high or they, there was uh, there was help coming over and Duke just didn't recognize it. Either way, Clemson, uh, Louisville, they made it clear beforehand. Sometimes you never know with what coaches say before but like Mac was like we're just going to try to make him catch as far away from the basket as possible and that's what they were doing so how did Duke respond really by acting like they were throwing post entries with him right next to the basket meanwhile he's a lot further out so it's all clustered so that's one of those things that's just like are you going to try something different or are you just going to let this happen and I mean the basic answer was they took out Carey which is a little frustrating to me because it's like, no, it did, our system isn't working, so the player goes. I would say you can figure things out, but or did you see it differently? Or like, did you th- what, what did you see Louisville doing to force the Duke turnovers? Uh, was it kind of what I said? Was it more to it? It was a lot of it was the post, was the entry passes to the post, but there was a couple possessions where, uh, Trey Jones or Stanley uh, would drive to the basket and they'd just kind of get the ball ripped out of their hands. There's a few, at least a few of those possessions, and that's just that's kind of just being out physical, I guess. Um, I mean, it happens sometimes, but to see it happen that many times and then the poor post passing too. And then there was a couple of times when I thought, when Carey did catch the pass, he should have recognized that he was far away from the basket and and kind of like kind of passed out of the post, maybe to the other side of the court, and he just never really recognized the opportunity. Uh, so I think that's kind of where the the turnovers came from, post passing, and then just get Louisville just kind of jumped on him and took it away a couple of times. I think also it might have uh, helped with maybe Louisville kind of prepared to do this at the same time, but I think by ex- by extending the interior and by kind of helping on carry, even like before the pass was thrown, before the entry pass, it actually made it so that the per- Duke's perimeter players, the ball handlers, there was almost like extended pressure, kind of like Duke usually forces with Duke doing it much more conscious, uh, trying to prevent teams from even getting into their set offense. So Louisville would be extended on carry, therefore extended on the ball handlers. If Duke had 
guys who were more adept, maybe like last year of uh, creating off the dribble besides Cassius, I think they could have really taken advantage of that. But the fact that they didn't and there's and the the high screens are still I think they're very vanilla. I mean there's the ones with Trey. I mean there's ba- there's barely even any horns at this point. It's just there's not much going on. So it's just you're kind of that's why I'm frustrated with the fact that it's almost like Carey was the fall guy. I mean, Carey did he had four turnovers in in what like first 10 minutes. But it wasn't like he was the only one, as you said. I think Trey had two. I think Goldwire had two. I think Cassius had – maybe not Goldwire, but Cassius had two. I think even Javin had two. Um, it was uh, – they, they were they were spreading the wealth around. So, uh, yeah, so so pretty pretty soon, 11 minutes in, there's a 25-10 lead, 22-0. 22-0 points in the paint by Louisville. That's pretty impressive. And uh, as I said, t- 10 turnovers in the first 12 minutes. So – Duke did calm down after that. I think the really interesting thing from, the, from I would say, the big takeaway, besides the fact they calmed down, and then it was just kind of a battle. Did you? I, I sent you the link to Kay's presser. Yeah. The first three minutes were insanity to me. Like, he just sits down and starts talking about, hey, it was like the appetizer to like the the UFC or MMA fight that was uh, I think Conor McGregor was fighting last night and Kay was acting like that game was almost like in the same realm as like UFC and there was no freedom of movement and like that nobody wants to see that type of game it was just too physical and he he made sure to say like over and over like he's given Louisville credit they might have been able to win even without that happening but literally the the whole thing was 8 minutes that was three minutes, and it started with a guy. I think he asked like a question, like two words in. Kay interrupts and just goes on his rant. And I was like, "What are you talking about? Like, like, yeah, I guess it was physical, but like nothing. What, like, what seemed to be inferred by him? I don't. I mean, he acted like it was World War Three out there or something. And uh, sorry if that's offensive, but like, I mean, just kind of hyperbole, but." I like did you did you think he was as physical as he did because he just kept going on and on he spent a third of more than a third of the presser just talking about how like it's horrible and I understand like every single game every single fan base every single person they're always bitching about the refs like you, you the refs hate my team blah 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 <laughs> and there's a, like the refs are always horrible no matter what I, I it boggles my mind how anybody wants to be a ref I mean I guess they get paid pretty well but I didn't. I didn't come out of this game really even thinking about physicality or the refs. Like I, I don't know. Did you? No, I. I listened to that and I was kind of surprised that that was the. Uh, where he was going with it because I mean it was a physical game, but it wasn't any more physical than any other game. You know, I mean if you watch Big Ten basketball, which I watch sometimes, being in Indiana, Big Ten is physical and it was. Louisville didn't even have, like, beast inside players. So, I don't know. I'm lost. I I just think, um, I, I mean, I didn't think it was that physical. I'm starting to wonder if, and maybe this is harsh, but I'm starting to wonder if Vernon Carey is, like, as tough and dominant as people thought after, like, the first eight games that Duke played 
he gets kind of pushed around a lot, and he's a big guy, so maybe you kind of feel like, well, they must have been really physical to push him around, but I just, I don't know if he has the the know-how to use his to use his body. Are you against... calling him a BFG like I did yesterday? I mean, last podcast. <laughs> a, a little bit. Like I could. I one thing I'll say about him is I don't think he adjusts in game very well. So, yeah, I think he's a reflective guy and, and he makes adjustments from game to game. But throughout the course of the game, I don't think he reacts very well to what defenses are doing. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about Vern, but if I do just real quick to go back to K, it was just really odd because he did, like, another really weird – I mean, I'd, with the Stephen F. Austin, the Winthrop presser, I went into that real in-depth for that pod. I'm not going to rehash all that. Uh, but another one was, um, like, right before the New Year's, he was talking about how, like, everyone's saying, like, we didn't win the ACC reg- uh, regular season. Well, you know what? I still like my team. I still think we have a good team. And you know what? You want to say we didn't win the ACC regular season? Fine. I, like, he just went on this big rant. I'm just like, dude, this isn't Twitter. Like, it, everyone's not like, either you win the ACC or you suck. Like, everyone understands, like, your, your uh, team – your decade was unfreaking believable. Two national championships, what uh, three ACC tournament titles? I mean, I don't know. He's he's very interesting in post game pressers. Maybe it's just because I haven't watched until this season, really, because kind of nothing happens. Um, he just kind of does his own yeah. thing for like five minutes, and I, I can kind of see why I didn't. But it's 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 almost entertaining in a way. Um, now that I have, because he just he just says what he wants, then leaves. And nothing really, like, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, he. I've been watching the post-game press conferences for a few years, and he does, that's exactly, I mean, that's what he does. And, <laughs> and everyone, he cuts He cuts guys off before they finish their sentences. And he just, like, I, we talked about before, he just kind of controls the flow of the, the whole press conference, and then the narrative is kind of dictated by him after the game. And it's only, like, five to ten minutes, so it's, like, it's very easy to do that. All right, so um, I, I will say to go in a little bit of uh, order now, I mean, one, th- one thing I had at the beginning when it's, when it's kind of the narrative before we get into the nitty-gritty, in terms of what Kay is saying, how he kind of was tough on them after, uh, after Clemson and now Louisville easy on them, to me – I think it seems to be, well, I can't obviously be sure, it seems like he's doing it to kind of protect them, to be easier after playing a good team and be tougher after playing a team he thinks they should beat. But at the same time, I don't know. To me, it seems like it's almost like babying them. I don't feel like they need that. It's just me. I, I just don't feel like they need that. The, the other narrative is just don't overreact. The world isn't ending. I think uh, anyone who is, it would just overreact to any single loss. And with this, I think there's very legit takeaways from this game to go over without overreacting. I think it's very possible because I've done it for years. All right, so I think the uh, the most interesting narrative as a team, Duke, at least on offense, Duke has literally gone from an offensively elite half-court team, statistically elite and really efficient, and crappy transition team, like ranked in the 300s, to over just like the past five or six games, an absolutely amazing transition team. Like, amazing. And I've described why. It's a lot less dependence on three-pointers. 
And much love to Wendell Moore, but uh, he had a tough time finishing at the rim. And Alex O'Connell, really, he's not even allowed to shoot three-pointers in transition anymore. So, I mean, those were the two guys, Wendell Moore and Alex O'Connell, which you look at their stats, and it stands out in transition. So I think just getting to the rim and forcing more turnovers, credit to Goldwire. He's, he's been in there more. He's helping force. It's not just turnovers. It's not just steals. It's steals that lead to breakouts. I think that's been huge. It's, it's unfortunate because just when they pick up the transition – the other part switches and the half court switches, they were doing so well. And the stats are real good. So still, but against teams like uh, tech and, uh, and uh, Louisville and uh, some of Clemson, especially at the end, they're really struggling to be able to find shots when teams take away burning carries. I don't know. I think that's the biggest team narrative, at least on the offensive end. Yeah, I think, that that's been a pretty stark contrast of late the half court offense. It uh, last night I was kind of think, when I was really frustrated by the offense. I was kind of thinking this, their offense looks like something I would see at the Y right now. <laughs> but <laughs> but it just wasn't very interesting, and they just didn't really have much going on. But I think uh, I think the team will eventually eventually figure it out and then they'll stare they're still going to be at their best when they're defense first that's the, when that's the attitude is defense first so uh it might just take a might take a a few games to figure out what to do if or find that find that second option that plan b in a half court set but i think they'll i think they'll figure it out Okay, so uh, now let's get to the specifics. And let's start out with, I think, easily the player of the game. Though the more you look into it, it's kind of, it gets a little sketchy. But at the same time, I just think overall for Duke, there is nobody more important. Um, I actually uh, I don't tweet much during games anymore. But, I mean, after Duke got down 25 to 10, I mean, they just looked like a deer in the headlights. And I tweeted, uh, Stanley's uh, IDGAF, I don't give a uh, whatever, attitude is so vital for Duke right now. Kid is a flat-out dog. And I quoted that without caches. This game's already over, completely out of reach. Who knows how it ends up, but he almost single-handedly prevented Duke from immediately being run off the court. That was huge, and that's what I saw from him immediately this season is the fact that that dude is just a dog. And I mean, I, I pretty much exactly what I tweeted. Like that's what that's what I would say. I mean, his impact in terms of his physicality and his attitude that doesn't exist on Duke. There is only one player who I think I've talked about who kind of exemplifies it, but in a different way. Is Joey Baker, who we'll discuss. Baker, uh, there's a lot to discuss about him, but Cassius. His attitude, just like, don't F with us, man. Like, he, he, will, he will rock Duke, and he, he, will, he will defend his boys, man. If he wasn't there, Duke gets run. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, I would definitely agree. I think he, he's just a spark plug for the whole team. Um, and that attitude that he has ends up being contagious, and it fires the whole team up. But at the same time, I wish – that there was a couple other guys that had that same kind of an attitude. Trey Jones kind of has like a, a quiet intensity about him, 
it's not the same as what Cassius Stanley brings to the table. And there's a couple other guys that they they have that quiet intensity and determination, but they just don't get really fired up like Cassius Stanley does. And when Cassius Stanley gets fired up, it makes the whole team rise to another level. Yeah, I mean, I mean Trey, I would agree. I've, I've said, like, he has the respect. Trey is like an R.J. Barrett in terms of, I'm not saying any part of his skill set, but just his demeanor where he walks on the court and everyone respects him, I would say R.J. is more of an alpha. Trey is kind of developing that. Like, R.J. kind of, he gives off this, like, aura. And it's like, yeah. that's the dude. Trey, it's like, he proves it. And then you know. But... Yeah, I mean, that's what, like, in the uh, season preview, that's one of the things I immediately brought up. Like, who's going to be the leader? Like, because leader can come from being vocal, can come from lead by example. It can come from both. And who's going to be, who's going to have an attitude? So, I, I mean, like, Javin, like, big-time energy. Uh, Jack White, kind of, like, soothing. And uh, I'm not quite Jordan Goldwire. He looks like he should be more intense than he is, but, he, but he's kind of... He's out there, like, he's kind of mellow, but he's, he's still he's still doing his thing. It's nothing against him. But, uh, yeah, and, I mean, Hurt, there's really no, no in terms of intensity, he's kind of there. Um, Vern, BFG, big friendly giant. O'Connell, he, he's energetic. He moves. I mean, when he's there, you know somebody's going to be moving constantly. So, uh, who would I forget? I think I think I did mention everyone, right? Yeah. Well, Wendell Moore, but he's not playing. Yeah, I mean right? Wendell. I mean Wendell's like he's he's the dude who doesn't even need to say anything. You're just like, watch out for that guy. He's a, he's kind of a bull. So I mean, and he and he's a guy with his versatility. Like, man, Duke misses Wendell Moore. But uh, yeah, I mean, right? I would say you know, I'll skip to Joey Baker. I was I was I wanted Joey Baker and Cassius to play at the same time for so long, even back to like Winthrop. That was supposed to be the time when like Baker like Baker he finally broke out. He's gonna play more, and then Cassius got injured. So then they come back and Baker he kind of goes into a slump, so he doesn't get as much time. And Kay has a very quick leash for him. But like I really want to see those two play together just because they are the two dudes who they. They just Baker's very free, plays free. He won't, he don't give a fuck, um, or whatever. And uh, Cassius, like he, he's a dog. So them together, that got me excited. And finally, I felt like yesterday versus Louisville, that was the time. Baker needs to learn how to harness his emotions, man. That dude is crazy. Like, and it's just overwhelming his ability. I feel like, I mean, that dude, if he's overshooting the basket by like five feet. That's not normal, and I don't think that has anything to do with basketball. I think, like, literally, he's ready to explode. I think he's so excited and just so intense and so energetic and wants to do so well. I mean, uh, who was it against where they, uh, him and Cassius kind of, they had Perry. I think they got in Perry's face that one time when Perry, he uh, kind of stood on top of Cassius, I believe, a little too long. And it was just like, that's it. Like, they, those are my guys together. And then Baker would just, like, immediately pick up two stupid fouls and, like, overshoot the basket by 100 feet. But that was really frustrating. I think if Baker had contributed, honestly, anything on offense, I think Duke would have had this. I think he could have been the X factor. But it was just he needs to learn how to harness his emotions. And not. I don't think he's a bad defender. It's just, like... 
his fouls are so blatantly obvious. We talked about how he 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 has very kind of violent movement in the way he moves and swings his arms and all that stuff. He just needs to chill out because I think his skill is enough. And I love his emotions. It's just like a lot of young guys. I mean, this is technically his freshman year. He's, I mean, he really didn't even get much minutes until like, I think Georgia state was the first time he got anything more than like nothing. Winthrop, then he started to get more, but I mean, it's really, it hasn't been long where he's actually been more than just kind of a microwave off the bench. And I always say, like, even Cassius in the beginning of the year, it's hard to be able to predict how somebody's going to do if they're really, if they're really good in short spurts. You don't know if that can actually kind of expound to larger portions of time when they have to use their energy kind of longer lasting and be efficient for longer periods. So Baker, I think he has struggled to deal with that. Do you think he is the type of player? who you think he can get it together? Because I think that's really – I hate to even use a cliche like get it together. What does that mean? But I think with Baker, that might apply. I think it's it's really that simple. His skill's there. He just needs to chill out. Yeah, I, I think he's just a real fiery, passionate guy. And it might – like it sound it might be kind of pessimistic, I guess, but it, it might not be this year. But I think if he's, if he's here as, as a junior and as a – senior then he'll end up being a guy that we all just love in every way but last night I, I and even last night in the moment I kind of loved his intensity and he shouldn't have he kind of put hands on Perry a little bit it wasn't really it wasn't anything demonstrative but he should have kept his cool a little bit better there and then even after that you could tell he was really fired up about it and yeah, see, I didn't even mind that. It's just the the dumb fouls and the way he would miss shots. It's just you could tell it was just he was too fired up. Yeah. All right, so uh, down the stretch, this is something I really I've read a couple articles. I don't, I'm not quite sure why it really doesn't mention the fact that Duke didn't play Vernon Carey the last four minutes, and nobody seemed to notice. I don't know if that's tell or or at least write about it. Or talk about it. I don't I've seen it in a few places. I'm sorry. I've seen that in a few places. Look, I've seen a couple of writers and uh, social media pundits kind of irritated that Vernon Carey wasn't putting down the stretch and thought that that was one of the main reasons why Duke lost. Yeah, I'm thinking more in terms of art. So if you've seen an article, then yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of in the moment, Twitter, Twitter will go crazy about anything or social media, but. <laughs> Um, yeah, because when it's an article, then you're actually trying to figure out what are the main uh, aspects of the game, what are the biggest moments, and that's when you're kind of interested in was Vern and Kerry, and I think it is a very big talking point, whether you agree that he should have been in, whether you think he should have been in there, whether you agree that he shouldn't, either way, down the stretch, they subbed, uh, K subbed out Vern and Baker in the final minutes, so at, uh, they subbed out K subbed out Baker. I mean, I'm sorry. K subbed out Vern at 13:54. They were down 54:45. When he subbed back in at 7:33, down 63 to 58. So they trimmed a couple points off that uh, deficit. But then subbed back out at 4:08 after missing two free throws, down 71 to 65. White with a steal, Trey and one. Then Baker subbed out for Goldwire, down 71-68. 
At 327, Goldwire Steel and Elaine Duke down 7170. All right, so Duke's down one, 327 left. And when you talk about Duke needs guys who can get a bucket, whatever you think about Baker, he's going to he's he's going to do anything possible to try. I'll I'll tell I'll tell you that he has massive confidence, and that's something you can't teach. And Jack White, Goldwire, Javin, they're going to play their roles and play them very well. Hurt, he's going to be able to spot up for three. Baker, I, I, he can he can do a little more. So it, it, Baker wasn't in there. And then Vernon Carey, who actually started to contribute more on offense, but he did miss the two free throws. So at that point in time, he, I mean, he was taken out right when he missed those two free throws. So at 327, down one, 71 to 70, should they have gone offense, defense with Javin and Vern? Should they have subbed Baker back in for Goldwire? Or maybe for Javin instead of Hurt at 155? Because at 155, K subbed Hurt in for Javin, so he actually went small. And Jack White actually ended up playing the five, really, there on defense. It was only for a couple minutes, but uh, at the same time, if Jack White's going to be playing the five, it could come down to, like, would you rather have Hurt or would you, would you rather have Baker? And then should they have gone offense for defense with Javin? Because Duke did, Duke just couldn't find a way to score after that. Duke did not score from 327 all the way into, like, uh, uh, when Baker hit a meaningless three-pointer with, like, seven seconds left. I mean, that's a long time. And I think, what, did both teams not score at all for, uh, what was it? Um, till, till there's only like, I, I don't know, like less than a minute left. I'm not, I'm not even sure. I'll have to look that up, but how, how do you feel the subbing should have gone, um, at that point? I think offense, defense for Javid and Carey might've been the best option. Uh, but with Vernon... With Vernon Carey, I, don't, I definitely don't think he should have just stayed on the floor because I think he is a little bit of a liability on defense. He doesn't talk as well as Javin. Uh, you can see when he got lost on McMahon. I think it was an out-of-bounds, an underneath out-of-bounds play, and he kind of got turned around, and the McMahon was open for a three. Uh, he just he struggles enough on defense that it's probably worth going offense defense uh, down a stretch with Javin inverted. Yeah, so it was uh it was seventy three to seventy. I mean the final three possessions, Louisville uh scored six points in kind of meaningless time. But still, I mean until that point, like it was there for the taking by Duke. And so if you if you don't think it had anything to do with his free throws, then yeah, it pretty much had to do with his defense. And I actually sent you um, I kind of put a bunch of uh, video clips together of how Louisville was attacking Vern and Matthew Hurt from, I think, uh, about nine minutes left to, like, when they took out uh, – when Kay took out Vern at four minutes left, 4.08. And it was every possession. They were – Louisville was doing everything possible to go after them. And you can look at the stat sheet or look at the scoreboard and say, well, hey, Louisville didn't score on most of them. It's like, yeah, because – like, Jordan Noir is having a dunk rim out. Like, Malik yeah. Williams is missing, like, a layup, right? Duke was getting insanely lucky. You can't just go strictly by the numbers, right? Duke stopped him. Duke did not stop him. Like, 
at all. So, I mean, if you every possession, Louisville was getting the advantage. So, while I can say that the offense was still, I would say, the biggest issue on this game, I think that's just because Louisville, they missed some really easy shots, and and uh, Vern and Hurt were just really struggling to play together. So, at that point, the K took out both Hurt and Vernon Carey. Why do you think he took both of them out and didn't leave one of them in? Defense, I guess. Um, I thought Matt Matthew Hurt played a little bit better on defense in this game than he did against Clemson, but I don't know. Like, I guess you could say defense, but like, yeah, if they're both there, but if if one of them's on, like, I think that's doable. So I don't understand it. Why do you have to take both of them off? Because when you take both off and you replace it with uh, Jack White and um, Javon Delorier, both great players, but the offense is going to be – I think that's why you saw the offense bogged down a little more and why Hurt had to come in for uh, for uh, for Javon at, inside of two minutes. Good I, trust I, I, I just think it's worth trying to find a better combo. You don't need to take both out. Maybe try to go offense for defense, like I mentioned, uh, Carey and Javin. Try I, – I still like – with Baker, I, I, might, I might as well just keep going to Baker. I mean, Baker, he reminds me a lot of the situation when I was recording with Ray Holloman all the time. We would both be on this island, totally different from any other Duke fans. We're like, Duke is – Obviously, the like their ceiling is the highest with Trevon Deval. Like you just gotta let him play through these mistakes. Don't pull him every time. That's what wrecks a player's confidence. Don't worry about how he's gonna do in the NBA. We're t- we're looking at right now this season. He is the guy that is the X factor for Duke. Let him play through. Don't don't kind of ruin his mind with his confidence by pulling him every time. Give him a green light and. It just it didn't happen. Like he kept getting pulled over and over. Like when he was on the court, his role would change. Grayson would be running point guard or at least initiating offense. And uh, Baker needs to play, man. I mean, I don't know if you were listening to the pod back after the 2K Classic. That was when I did my um, I projected my end of season lineup. The five guys I thought would be the best for Duke. Did you did you listen to that by any chance? Yeah, I did. Awesome. Um. Then, uh, yeah. So those, uh, that lineup. Do you remember what I had? The five guys. Obviously, Buckmeyer at point guard. <laughs> I don't remember exactly. Wasn't Buckmeyer? Okay. It, it was. It was Trey. It was Cassius. It, it was Joey Baker. It was Wendell Moore, and it was Vernon Carey. And Wendell, like, and again, it's really frustrating because, like, I felt Wendell at the four was just made to be. And uh, and I said at that time, like, Matthew Hurt will have plenty of opportunities to play the four. I'm not, I'm not saying bench Matthew Hurt or anything like that. It's kind of like a meal in 2015 where it's like, yeah, Matt Jones is coming in, but it doesn't mean, like, a meal's out. Um, so, and, yeah, Wendell not the four stinks. And then Baker kind of got injured at least, and he wasn't as bad as thought. But, like, I want them in there because those are the dudes that give Duke the highest ceiling. And if you keep messing with Baker, I think I love his confidence. I think he's 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 uh, mentally tough enough, or at least just doesn't care enough to be able to withstand like being pulled. Like there's games he plays like no time, 
Like, he started one game, played like four minutes, and was benched for the rest of the game. It's just weird. Like, I, it reminds me of kind of at times, not to the extent of Rashid Solomon, but sort of in a way where Kay would just like put him in, put him out, put him in, put him out, and it just wouldn't make sense. And I hope Baker can stick through it and prove his worth because I think Duke needs him. I think to reach their ceiling, it is a Trevon DeVal type of scenario where, yeah, Baker might hurt you sometimes in the moment. I think he's absolutely necessary for Duke to play meaning, not just minutes, meaningful minutes um, by the, by the end of the season consistently. I don't know if we've, I mean, probably haven't for any significant period of time, but it would be really interesting to see that those five on the floor together for like a seven minute stretch, just to see what would happen. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, we're looking at these teams because first it's like, oh, like some teams, they had a, like a versatile big who can kind of take Matthew Hurd inside out, Vernon Carey um, in, inside and out. Vernon Carey has trouble with the pick and roll when it's not just kind of switching onto the roller. Um, and I don't know, like with Clemson and Louisville, I think it's proving that like they can kind of take advantage of the two bigs um, for Duke with Hurd and Carey, no matter really what they're doing. I think that's what it kind of gets down to. It's like, yeah, they're, they're doing some more creative things with the back cuts and all, and all that stuff. But bottom line, it just really got me thinking. It's nothing like shocking. Two freshman bigs, especially two freshman bigs, who are not the fleetest of foot. Yeah. They, let me ask you, can, they, can you play them together consistently? I mean, they have been. <laughs> but I think, I think the reason... I think, I think the reason why they got pulled was was because Coach K has more trust in Javin and Jack, and he kind of seems like this year he's kind of leaning towards. I want the person who I can rely on to not make silly mistakes. I don't care if the offense is suffers for it. He just wants. I mean, that's why Goldwire is getting so many minutes. I mean, Goldwire is a guy who doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He didn't have any turnovers last night. And we caught the ball. They had so many turnovers. Jordan Goldwire didn't have any. So he just doesn't really make mistakes. And Javin is a guy who's Did not going to I think Goldwire made a three off the bounce and I almost fainted. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it was a three, but he had like a nice kind of – it was like a little step back thing. Yeah, I was like, I didn't even know he could do that. So. I didn't know he could do it. But, uh, I mean, he, he played pretty well last night. But I think Coach K is just leaning towards experience and fewer mistakes versus offensive potential. I think it kind of it pretty much comes down to experience and just end it right there. I mean, kid, this is what K this is what he's known for. I'm not saying he does it every time, but if there's an option, like he's going to. I mean, if guys are just crazy talented, like some of the freshmen Duke have had the one and done, like there's just no, yeah, there's there's no decision there. I mean, it's still that military background, man, like. You stick with him. You kind of, uh, you you prove yourself and you move up the ranks. And I just think like, that's what K, it's his, that's what he naturally does. So that's why. You'd Jack, rather, go ahead. Sorry. You'd rather see like Vernon and Jack White and then have Javin and Matthew Hurt subbed in or something like that. 
I think it's about trying to just find out what works every game. I don't think there is one way. I mean, those five that I mentioned, those are five that I would just love to see as much as possible. But, I mean, I've consistent, been consistent about it. I don't think – I mean, Trey and uh, Cassius are pretty much the only guys that I don't think, no matter what, no matter what opponent, no matter what time, no matter what at all, they're in. Those are the only two. So everything else, it's kind of just seeing what works. And I think it's about finding the highest ceiling. In the moment, you might you might change that around. Like I'm talking about in general. Like I'm saying, like if you if you pull Baker after every mistake, that's not playing for the ceiling. Like you got to give him a chance to play through mistakes. But uh, yeah, versus versus Louisville, I would have uh, I would have tried different combos because actually, I mean, some of uh, some of what brought him back, I think it was with uh, it was really with Hurt and Jack White on the floor and Jack White. He, we, we, uh, I, I did a podcast in terms of going over, uh, Brandon Marks. I think he did like the 10 things about Duke after 10 games. And one of them was Duke's most underrated player. And he chose, uh, Jordan Goldwire. And I was like, no, and it has nothing to do with Jordan Goldwire. I don't think he's underrated. I think, I mean, he's there all the time. You see what he does when he makes steals. Everyone notices steals are obvious. What is, you don't really, or not you specifically, but. I think Jack White does stuff, and it's just like nobody notices. I mean, how many people do you think realize he had five steals last night? I mean, he had like five. He had like five rebounds, like three offense. Like, it's just he's not scoring. So I mean, and he's doing he's doing really well. I mean, he's so tough on defense. He always knows where to be. K can trust him. But he's not. But I mean, that's why I just keep every time he shoots a three, I'm just like fingers crossed. Because you have to be able to make the defense respect you. Javin, I think Javin's just about kind of when when you need him, he's going to be there. I mean, there are certain games where he gets a little crazy, but Javin's really reliable in terms of what he does. I, I've always said Javin doesn't get enough credit, but Jack White is a very interesting player. And it, but I don't think there is one set combo. But yesterday. Yeah, I think I, I would have kind of try, tried to keep subbing it out because when you you think you have it with with those other guys, but how many points did they score from 327 until seven seconds? And then you look back, it's like, oh, wait, those uh, two times they scored with Trey and one off a steal. I think it was Jack White's steal. And uh, Jordan Goldwire, he made a steal. Transition one. So when was the last time they scored in half court? Vernon Carey at, at like 7:30 left. So if they're not going to be able to score in half court, that's a problem. And I mean, it's just literally Trey Iso ball. Are you going to rely on Trey Iso ball uh, because it's either that or Cassius Stanley? And Stanley's not getting those uh, high screens. He's getting some. It's always from the the right wing. I mean, and I still don't think it's nearly creative enough. I think, I mean, Stanley, you, you put him in different situations. I mean, he came off the screen even at uh, 1750 left and scored. There was just not much going on, period, similar to Clemson. And it's just, when it keeps happening like that, you're just like, this can't be so vanilla. Like, especially since the beginning of the season, I was so excited about all the possibilities and kind of ripples and, and in the offense and what I was excited to see develop. Nothing has. 
they had Cash's post up once or twice over the last couple of games, and I think he's been. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I feel like he's been fairly successful on those quick post-ups. But one of the other interesting things I noticed to close, as the game was, was winding to a close was that Cassius Stanley only took three shots uh, for the, over the last nine minutes of the game, and he didn't score on any of those. One of them, of course, was that, that three uh, with like 47 seconds left, but yeah, I thought that was, you know, he was obviously your best player for the entire game, and he only had three shots in the last nine minutes. Didn't score, so. I mean, like, he was guarding Jordan Noir most of the game. And yeah. not just guarding him, but shutting down Jordan Noir. That's huge. And Cassius was, as Kay said, I mean, there were some huge offensive rebounds he got in the second half. And he was carrying the team on his back in the first half. But... On initial second half, uh, uh, initial second half half court shots, eight possessions, two points on one of seven field goals, 0 of three from three, one turnover, and two of his three two point field goals were blocked at the rim. He wasn't doing much. At the same time, I don't think Duke was helping him. I mean, I'm looking at what Trey gets, and Trey, there's a lot more opportunities, especially from the center, and especially with. Uh, with uh, Javin rolling or slipping, uh, most of the time slipping, like Jav- like Cassius just didn't get anything remotely like that. So again, you, I mean, with I always talk about you need three guys who can get a bucket. So you got Cassius, you got Trey. Trey's getting help. Cassius isn't getting much help. It's mostly ISO for him. So who's the third guy? It could be, and I, I think the injury might his injury might slow it, slow this down and make it impossible, but it could be Wendell Moore. Well, yeah, I mean, Wendell Moore's out there. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I was saying like at the beginning of the season, the three guys who could create off the bounce for themselves and others consistently were Cassius Stanley, Alex O'Connell and Wendell Moore. Alex O'Connell's defense just can't be trusted like that. There's really nothing else to it at this point, no matter what you think about his offense, his defense cannot be trusted until he proves otherwise. I mean, this this isn't something like my opinion. Like the the tape doesn't lie. So then it then it comes down to Wendell Moore's out. So Cassius Stanley is the only one who can consistently create off the dribble. And I don't think he's uh, creating very well for others. But I don't also think he's getting help. There's nobody moving off. There's not much high high screen action for him. So it's kind of a limited capability in what he can do. So what like down the stretch. What, what, like I don't know, something needs to change in terms of what's going on. I just think it could be really huge when uh, where they have like two games and they have they have next Saturday off, I believe. Mm-hmm. So I think they need to uh, use where they have Miami and then off. So they need to use that time after Miami to put some new wrinkles in the offense. Otherwise, like it can't be this vanilla. I mean, it's really looking like it has every single season. But every single season, it has, like, alphas, guys who can just get a bucket. This team doesn't. So I hate to say that, sound like a broken record. That's kind of – and something needs, something needs to change, and it's not the players. It's not how much heart they have, how much they want it, playing the Duke way. Coaches need to help them out. Yeah, I think I think that's, I think that's fair. Um, the offense has been 
bland. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Second half, initial half court uh, possessions. 21 possessions, 11 points, 5 of 19 field goals, 1 of 6 three-point field goals, 0-0 zero, zero free throws, two turnovers. That's awful. That is awful. And, I mean, pretty much it's Trey and Vern the only ones who scored. And obviously only 11 points. Then uh, initial transition, 16 possessions, 23 points, 8 of 13 field goals, uh, 1 of 5 three-point field goals, 6 of 6 free throws, 1 turnover. So I think you got to eliminate the uh, – there's three possessions, 17 seconds and under, and those are just kind of like it was already over. So that you got then 13 possessions, 20 points, 7 of 11 field goals, 0 of 3 from 3, no turnovers. No turnovers. So, I mean, without the three three-pointers, which stop shooting them, I mean, it's 7 for 10, and, I mean, that's where they were most successful. The blob and second chance opportunities, there is nine. This is all second half. Nine opportunities, five points, 0 of 5 field goals, 0 for 2 three-point field goals, 5 for 7 on free throws. So they were getting to the line, but they, they were missing every single other chance. And usually Duke is really good off the blob. And, uh, yeah, didn't happen. All right, so get, getting down, it was kind of just like different thoughts on different things. Now, let, let, let's follow a little more order. Uh, let's see. So, so David Johnson, that was really odd to me because I am fully expecting, like most most Louisville fans and bloggers, whoever, I assume they knew his potential. But it seemed like ACC people and Duke fans or something, like they had no idea who this was. And I be, I'll be honest, I be, I've told – I said – on the last part, like, I haven't watched much ACC this year. I knew David Johnson. I knew how talented that dude was. He was my X Factor even in the preseason ACC preview. That dude's an animal. And hopefully he's okay because it was it was odd. A couple minutes left, he fell. And first he gripped, like, his his hand. Then he gripped, like, his uh, his foot. And then it was, and then it was kind of reported that he was having um, pain in the same labrum that he had surgery on. So hopefully he's okay because, I mean, that dude's an animal. He's he's a game changer for Louisville. And I mean, as you as you were saying, like starting to talk about them last pod, point guard was their biggest question mark, and he would provide that with a bullet. So how do you how do you feel his impact was, especially in the first half? Were you surprised that Goldwire was uh, on him a lot? And just how do you how do you feel he affected Louisville? Do you think he provides something different from what they've had in the past couple of years? I think he certainly last night he was kind of providing the same thing for Louisville that Cassius Stanley provides for Duke. And I'm not surprised. I'm not really surprised to see Jordan Goldwire on him. I think. Coach K, I mean, he did that against Michigan State, too. Goldwire was the primary defender on Winston, just because I think it, you need Trey Jones to be energetic and focused on offense, and if he's having to guard the best For some back. reason, my mind's blanking. It was Goldwire, mostly? Okay. I'm not disagreeing. I just, my mind's blanking on that. Yeah, for some reason, it was kind of weird. Um, Michigan State had Foster Lawyer trying to guard Trey Jones, and Goldwire was guarding Winston, and and it worked out perfectly for Duke in that game, but uh, it didn't work out super great for Duke in this game because uh, Johnson obviously had a great uh, a great night, but a lot of that also was off of turnovers too. Um, but but yeah, I, I'm not going to be surprised all year to see Stanley or to see Goldwire guarding the 
the primary perimeter player for the for the opponent because I think it just saves saves Jones energy for offense. Yeah, I mean David Johnson, that kid is just a dog, and I mean he showed it, and a lot. I mean, yeah, there was off of turnovers, but also he caused a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Well, at the same time, I did talk about before that it was. I mean, Duke was almost telegraphing those post passes, so it wasn't hard much of the time, but it still, I mean, credit to him. And, I mean, his vision, his passing, and just the attitude, I think that what I feel he provides the most for Louisville that they didn't have. I mean, how many games, I actually went over it last year, how many games they've blown in the last couple of years is really weird. They've had a lot of big leads. They've blown, I think they were up by double digits 10 minutes into the second half in, like, Five games last year they blew, including the obvious Duke one. If that kid stays healthy, I think he's the difference down the stretch. Like, he's just not going to let that happen. I mean, it sounds crazy, but, like, I think they just needed they needed somebody to steady the ship. And I think he could be the guy. I, I think he's huge for Louisville. He takes them to another level into, I believe, national championship contender. So, I, I, yeah, I think that's huge. Yeah, he's super impressive. He's got right. good size, too. The word I use, the word for what I liked about Duke's uh, three point selection this season when it went well was judicious. They used that word a lot. Against Louisville, though, it was definitely not judicious. In Duke's eight games shooting over twenty three pointers, they've made sixty five of two hundred three, which is thirty two percent, and that even includes a game in which they made eleven of twenty three against Wake, almost fifty percent. In the ten games they've shot twenty or less. They are 64 of 55. They have uh, only made one less than uh, the previous stat while shooting, um, what is it, 47 less overall. And that is 41.3%, including a 2 for 16 game versus Brown, as well as I think they shot like 5 or 15 against uh, Stephen F. Austin. Yes, yesterday, let, let's see here. In the first half, they were uh, 4 of 12. From three, Matthew Hurt was three of three. In the second half, whoops, yeah, here we go. Okay, in the second half, they were two of 13, and that includes Joey Baker's three with seven seconds left. So overall, they were six of 25. If you discount Baker's meaningless three, five of 25. That is not judicious. This team, and it just shows, like, the less they have a structured half-court offense, the more they're just going to chuck because what other, what other option is there? They're going to have to get something up. Do you, uh, am I inventing a narrative out of those three-point stats, or do you think there's something to it? I mean, I noticed throughout the game that they were definitely chucking up a lot of threes, and I, I didn't quite understand why. Um, Cassius Stanley, the, the, probably the blemish on his performance last night is – the one of seven mark from three. Uh, Baker had the one three in the final seconds, like you have mentioned, but he was otherwise, uh, he was just one for four overall. And uh, yeah, Trey Jones was also one for four. Uh, I don't know exactly what to make of it, because it's just one game, but they... You know, I, I do think it's probably indicative of the offense where you, you know, you don't have, you're not getting a drive and a kick, you're not, 
entering into the post and passing it back out, uh, even off of offensive rebounds and, and kickouts, three-point shots are more or a higher percentage shot off of that. So I think it's just you got to have a more spice in the offense. Otherwise, the threes aren't aren't, as, aren't an effective tool. Yeah, I mean, to even break it down further in the, in the initial half-court shots in uh, the second half, I mean, the first seven possessions, six, six points, three of six field goals. Even then, 0 of two three-point field goals, one turnover. But still, shoot, shooting well. The next six possessions, zero points, 0 of six field goals, 0 of two from three. Next two possessions, five points, two of two field goals, one of one from three. Final six possessions, zero points, 0-5 field goals, 0 for 1-3, and one turnover. Didn't score on the final six half-court, uh, initial half-court possessions. So, yeah, they could have used Vernon Carey there or Joey Baker or someone. And I keep, I hate to keep harping back to the same thing. But, yeah, I, I mean, when, when it comes down to it, I mean, the, the reason the three-pointers were shot was because nothing was going on. Something needs to happen. And you need to have playmakers. That's the bottom line. They don't have as many playmakers as you hope, so help them out. And that's what comes down to it. And m- many more games than not, I'll talk about the, the defense more. I think the defense will be the key for everything. But in a game like this, where I think the defense was good enough once everything settled down and it really Louisville wasn't scoring all the time in transition. I mean, if you look at what Louisville did in the second half until those, like, meaningless last three possessions where they scored six points. I mean, they, they were finding ways to get stops, even, like, of, I mean, when uh, when Carey and Hurt, I mean, they were constantly getting attacked, and Duke still found a way to not get beat. But at the same time, I said before, Louisville was blowing some easy chances. So that that is definitely worth recognizing. All right, so Matthew Hurt, his half comparison. I think that's something which may be going a little bit under the radar. Basically, his scoring and his production overall just completely falls off the map from first half to second half, and it's pretty much done so ever since uh, Georgetown. Georgetown was starting. I mean, that game he just got benched in the second half. But I mean, you, you most of these games. I mean, you can go through any of them. I mean, yesterday Louisville, eleven points, four or five field goals, three of three from deep. One rebound, one offensive. Second half, five points. One of four. 0 of two from from uh, three. Uh, let's see. Clemson, first half. Ten. Uh, he didn't really do anything there. Two, two points in the first half, none in the second. Uh, Wake Forest, five points in the first half, zero in the second. Georgia Tech, uh, eight points in the first half, three in the second. Uh, Miami, a little bit closer, seven and six. Uh, BC, tw- uh, let's see here. 20 points in the first half, five in the second half. Um, and it just it, it, it keeps going, and it's just and he's he's not providing much on the boards. Props to him though; he actually did get to the free throw line. Good for him. His free throw rate is no longer zero in ACC play because why was he battling on the inside? No, he got fouled on a three pointer. <laughs> that's that's why. But because of course he got fouled on a three pointer. That's how that's how Matthew Hurt gets to the line. Um, but either way, he got there. And when he gets there, he's a great shooter. Get there more, somehow. Um, but yeah, he drops off. So that's another reason. It's something to consider when I'm talking about second half lineups down the stretch. 
and how I always say, like when Matthew Hurt's in there, use him. Use him as much as possible on offense because if you're not using him on offense, his value plummets. And it's, yeah. So so when you also take into account how his production drops off first half to second half, it's just another thing to consider. I'm not I'm not trying to create a narrative. I'm not saying this one thing should mean everything. But when you're thinking about who should be playing in the second half, it's just it's another kind of it's just something to consider. Um I think and maybe maybe you could check this out too, but I think Alex O'Connell typically plays better in the second half than the first half. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, yes, I think statistically that would be true. I think if you eliminate garbage time, I don't think you will see that. But <laughs> technically, I mean, yeah, I mean, would, would he hit a couple of Vir- Virginia Tech? I think he hit a couple at the end. I think like Michigan State, he had a couple. He, he hit a couple like in the last few minutes of a bunch of games. But so credit to him. And I mentioned it could be like a uh, a field goal kicker seeing it go through. That, that could be huge. But it hasn't really translated to the next game ever. Yeah, it hasn't really uh, done that. So, Matthew Hurt, I mean, especially with the rebounding, it's just, it's tough. I mean, and that, I just want to point out again how impressive Cassius was on the glass. On both ends, offensive and defensive. I mean, it's he got Duke so many chances on offense, extra chances. I mean, there was a, there was a rebound he got on defense with like two minutes left where he tipped it to himself when uh, there were two Louisville defenders there. I mean, you, the, Cassius, that's why it shocked me. That game, I, I believe, I, that was against Georgia Tech, I think, where he didn't dive for the ball, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, Cassius not getting on the floor or not getting on the ground for the ball, like, that that kind of just blew me away. I don't think you'll see that again. I mean, Cassius, he uh, he has an attitude, and, and, oh, man, just put him together with Joey Baker. Let Joey Baker go wild for a little. If, if Duke loses by 1,000 one game, I'm willing to accept it if it's good in the long run. I mean, it's exactly what I said with Wendell Moore. You just got to deal with it. You got to deal with all the craziness. And w- one step back to move two steps forward, or maybe seven steps back to move like eight steps forward eventually. But, I mean, these guys, you just got to let them play through. And, uh, yeah, and it's just about finding lineups that work for the defense. But at the same time... I think it's worth just taking a moment to give credit to people who I'm not trying to like gloat or pat myself on the back or anything because it just was what it was. I loved Mark, uh, Mark, excuse me. I loved Marquise Bolden in the moment. I thought his value was amazing. I thought what he provided as somebody who knew the system on defense was amazing. And I thought him in transition was, I, I thought he was great. And I don't care what he was ranked in high school. Like, literally, that matters nothing to me. He, I thought he was great for Duke. I think Javin, the way he came on last year was great. These guys that grow in the system, everyone wants a four-year guy until you, until you have to watch him grow. Mm-hmm. And you have, you have to watch them play through mistakes. And you're like, no, get him out of there. We have this, like, brand-new, shiny recruit. It's like, that, then, then the player isn't going to develop. And a guy like Marquise Bolt, like, you see how tough it is for bigs. Even if they were kind of were more quick twitch, their footwork, it's still hard. I mean, it is tough to come in as freshmen and just be developed in that pick and roll on defense as bigs. I don't know. I think that's just a, another huge reason why it's it's 
important to have. It's not just experience. It's knowing and being able to direct that Jack White and Javon Delorier have the capability to do. Because Matthew Hurt and Vernie, even if they were the best athletes in the world, it's just it's not easy. And I think Marquise Bolden, Javon Delorier, all those guys that kind of go under the radar, I think it's just worth pointing out again how important they were and how Duke needed to switch to his own with Marvin Bagley and Wendell Carter. That's relevant. That's where, I mean, Bagley obviously is not a great defender. Wendell Moore is a fantastic defender. Maybe it cancels it out to like a medium at some point. But they do still have to go zone. And Grayson Allen wasn't a good defender, but uh, Trevon DeVal was great. So it's not like the perimeter was awful. It's just they, they really had no other option. So it's tough. And I'll ask the same question I did last last uh, pod. Do you see them at all? I'm not saying they should. I just I'm kind of just makes me curious to see if K will be creative at times. But uh, do you think they'll go zone a- anymore this season, or is that too tough to kind of create turnovers out of? I think when, if you switch to zone, it limits. I'm not saying permanently. Just throw it in there more. Okay, well, throw it in there, then I definitely think um, I would like to see them, like, press and then press full court and then when the ball actually enters the half court and the, and the offense is trying to set something up, maybe you can switch to a zone. Okay, well, let, let's say that uh, imagine, a little birdie told me they are, they are not going to full court press all the time. And this, and this magic little birdie always knows because they never full court press all the time. So the, I, I will assume the little birdie is right. I have no sources except a little birdie. But Duke's not going to keep doing that. And please let me be wrong. If, if I am wrong, I will be, I'll be – So I, mean, I say this every year. So let's assume that's not going to happen. I think it will happen occasionally, but let's assume it's not going to consistently happen. How about then? If they, if they don't use the press – as much, yeah. Um, if you don't use the press, I think it helps hurt and carry on the floor together. But you're also, I mean, the best part about having Cassius and Jordan Goldwire and Trey Jones on the floor is, is their ball pressure. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you can pressure the ball in a way through a zone, but it's just not the same. And so I think it helps on the backside with carry and hurt, but it it kind of blunts your best weapon uh, on the perimeter. Yeah, I mean, that, that's true. I mean, they could do do like a 3-2 with the uh, three guys who can press the most and Goldwire, Trey, and uh, Cassius. And they were extending the wings. They were elevating the wings in 2018 until, the, until they were elevated way too much, until it almost looked like a 4-1 versus Kansas. But I never want to talk about that game again. Um, so, I mean, there's different ways to do it. But I don't know. It's just something like I wouldn't be I wouldn't be mad if they just threw if, if it was thrown in occasionally just to kind of keep the other team off guard. Because I mean that's the that's the thing I worry about with Duke is the fact that they become predictable after a while, and that shouldn't happen with guys this talented. I think they're more than capable of uh, adjusting. Well, yeah, I, I like the idea of. Switch like especially if you're gonna play against a team that it's not up tempo that's gonna hold the ball in the half court and use the shot clock. Switch the defense and even in a shot clock 
switch from man to his own. That 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 would that would make my head explode with happiness. But uh, <laughs> hey, I mean, I'll agree. I mean, it's not going to happen, but I'll agree. And maybe I'm just being pessimistic. But hey, I would love it to happen. All right, on, another thing on offense. Switching back to offense. A thing I noticed immediately this season, I mean, he, I mean, because Trey wasn't even used at anywhere near like a point guard last year, so he's really being developed for the first time this season, at least on the college level. And I mean, even in CTC countdown to craziness, he missed Javin slipping or rolling to the rim twice for really easy alley oop opportunities. And it hasn't happened a ton this season, but I've been noticing, especially as they're starting to play more close games, it really sticks out when it happens where Trey, he just looks off Javin a lot. And Javin is someone who he really started developing as a guy who is really good slipping with his quickness in the NCAA tournament last year or towards the end of the season, actually with RJ Barrett, RJ did a great job of finding uh, Javin a ton of times. I mean, Michigan state was like four different times. I mean, Javin's quick and he'll finish when it's there. So, Trey's got to see that, whether it's an alley-oop or whether it's an over-the-top lob. And Vern, he he missed a couple times. Vern is interesting because I think he's really good at finishing with his right hand, or at least I thought that. He needs to kind of prove it to me again because I'm starting to wonder about that a little more. He's capable, but not as proficient as I initially thought. But when he is uh, – they put him on the on the right block sometimes. Or actually, no, he sets, a, he sets a screen at the right wing, and then he rolls to the basket, and it sets up. He's left-handed. It would be over his right shoulder, the pass from the right wing, and that pass is never attempted. And then you see him turn back the other way to his left side. So it makes me wonder if he has trouble kind of seeing the ball, kind of calculating it um, when it comes over his shoulder that way, or whether the passer just doesn't trust it enough. Because once he turns back the other way, it's too late. But there's opportunities there. There's opportunities on certain situations that just aren't being taken advantage of. So I would love to see that be worked on a little more. I don't know if it's fixable. But at the same time, that needs to be pointed out in film. I think also Vern, he makes moves without even, I mean, he kind of of predetermines it. And he's missing passes to open shooters. Not missing them, not throwing bad passes. Just not He's not even attempting because he doesn't look. And it leads to him kind of turning right into double teams sometimes. And it's very easy for opponents to trick him to kind of all of a sudden the help comes over. And he ends up turning right into it. That was actually his last missed shot before he was pulled at like 4.08. Where he turned literally right into a double team and missed the shot. So I think, again... It's his first time playing offense in the post. So it's important to be patient. But yeah, in terms of using the bigs in a better way and being more creative, I mean, there was only even like two horn sets yesterday. Like whatever happened to that dribble handoff? They, 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 they would give it to uh, Vern or Hurt. I mean, I like how they, the wing, they're elevated now. It's elevated horns. I think that gives more space. They're not even using that much anymore, but like still, like there was dribble handoffs. There's all kinds of stuff. There was flex action. Man, I don't see it. Yeah, they're not using that anymore. Uh, it's frustrating, but Kerry seems increasingly uncomfortable in the post lately, where he's either 
taking too much time or he's rushing it. And he's not really as like he, he's not able to play with his instincts right now. He's just thinking the game too much, if that makes sense. Just can't really think the game in the moment like that. You have to your your skills and practice has to be such that you can just feel it out. But he he's definitely uh, he's definitely struggled to establish himself on the block and then to score on the block and the path out of the block. So yeah, because everyone's like we're gonna make Duke like we're gonna force Duke to make us pay by leaving their shooters. The ball's not getting the shooters though. I mean, the ball has to get to. It's not like the shooters are letting down Vern. He's I think he, you're right. He's taken a while to make a decision. And finally, when he makes a decision, it's too late and guys are slapping at the ball. I think another thing is often early in the season when he turns left, he brings the ball low. And that allows the defender to just pop, put, put their hand there. So, like, he needs to keep that thing high. Be, be big. I mean, as the old cliche, like, be big. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, it kind of reminds me of, I think it was Mason Plumley's sophomore or junior year when they first started trying to use him in the post, and he just, it wasn't, he wasn't comfortable down there. And that's kind of how Vernon looks, where he just doesn't know what he, he doesn't know what he wants to do down there. Yeah, and I mean, I think he just needs to be quicker on passouts, because I think if teams had to worry more about Duke's shooters, that would be something to consider. But I talk about like how Duke didn't shoot well in the threes, but they weren't off kickouts. They were just threes, like a lot of them were honestly off the bounce. And that's not how you want them. That is not how you want them at all. We're in transition. like So it's not like Vern's kicking out and they just don't have shooters good enough. Right, let's see what happens if, if they do. All right, next, uh, Duke, I've talked about how they do have the margin for error with their depth besides when no more, but still in terms of their talent, they don't have the margin to just keep giving up free points, especially to a good team like Louisville. So these leakouts where guys don't rotate back and at different times, I mean, Goldwire was twice, Trey was once. I mean, Cash just loves to get in there, rebound. Like sometimes you can't be sure who is supposed to rotate back. It looks like all of them were supposed to rotate back and like none of them did. Then then there's times like, I don't know what's going on. I mean, the, the worst was actually one time where it wasn't even a matter of a uh, rotation back. It was David Williams, this was the last play of uh, the video I sent you, where he gets the ball, trays on his hip, dribbles all the way down, literally, Vern's on one side of the rim, Hurts on the other side of the rim, and they actually, like, as Williams comes down the lane, they split wider. Like, they don't go towards Williams, they split, and it was like the, they, the Red Sea opening up. Like, Trey, he fed... Williams, like, everyone's going to blame Trey for that. It's very easy to say, Trey, why are you so... Like, they need... Somebody needs to come, and I don't know... Like, you can say, oh, it should have been him or him. It should have been both of them. I mean, I'd rather see both be aggressive rather than kind of just back away, and Williams went in for the dunk, and it's just like, what is going on? Like, that was... That play made me crazy. There's another play when uh, Trey, he went down the lane, and just, like, nobody rotated back. Nobody. I mean, sometimes it's more obvious than others who should. But at the same time, these defensive rotations got to be fixed up because they, they they don't occur much, but it seems like the game they occur is when Duke loses. So it certainly makes it more obvious. Yeah. Yeah, that it makes you almost like just have a dead, like especially if Matthew hurts in and he's not going to help on rebounding. 
He might as well, he might as well just get back on defense or get back, or run the floor on offense for transition. So like I almost if hurts in, I almost want to see him just not even worry about rebounding and just get back down the court, no matter what. That no actually matter. is a, that actually is a bit, the, probably a really good idea. The, the, I mean, looking down his stats, it's it's kind of remarkable how many games where he has like two rebounds and both are on the offensive end. I'm just like what? It's I mean he has great instincts for offensive rebounds i think that those instincts can help out with that stat specifically but he's not getting any rebounds because of his physicality and that shows up especially on the defensive end all right so uh one of duke's best attributes this year has been three-point defense they don't give up a lot the percentage of the three-point rate is very low for teams and the three-point percentage is very low the rate stayed low um the percentage when uh, Malik Williams made a shot at the end of the first half, it almost it had this eerie thing where I was like, oh, my God, it reminds me of another Williams, Derek for Arizona, when he made <laughs> that three at the end of the half. And I was like, not this again. But, I mean, they started out 5-5 five of five in the first 23 minutes, 2 of 9 the rest of the way. So it wasn't that bad. But, I mean, a lot of it, you just – there were guys who were making it who you wouldn't expect, except for when Vernon Carey just straight up missed his switch on Ryan McMahon, the one guy you can never yeah. leave. Uh, the bench, Duke, with all their, their with all their bench depth, I mean, a lot of this had to do with David Williams, but at the same time, even David Williams didn't add up to outscoring, outscored 39-5, to 28-0 in the first half. They were outscored by four touchdowns in the first half. Second chance points, uh, Duke outscored Louisville 14-6, 7-2 and 7-4. So, I mean, in terms of the physicality, Duke was still getting more chances uh, down low. Uh, first half, five offensive rebounds, seven second-chance points. This is bad. Second half, nine offensive rebounds, seven second-chance points. You're getting more chances. You can't waste those chances. Uh, fast break, 25-23. So as uh, fast as du- as Louisville started off, um, outscoring Duke 12-5 to in the first half. Duke outscored Louisville 20-11 to in the second. Points off turnovers. Only uh, were down one in there. They were outscored 15-7 to in the first half, but outscored Louisville 14-7 to in the second. Free throws, 21 of 29. Uh, 10 of 14 in the first half, 11 of 15 in the second half. That's that's good. That's Vern, good. 6 of 10. My, my thing with Vern is, like, as long as, he's above, as long as he's above 50%, I would even say 50% is fine. Just don't go below 50%. I mean, that's the thing. That's when it starts getting, like, to be unplayable. But he, So 6 of 10 is fine. But 15, 15 of 19 without him. Heck yeah. And, uh, again, Matthew Hurd, even just like three of three. He, they need to find a way to get him to the line. Uh, steals, 13 to 13. Uh, Louisville had uh, eight steals compared to four of Dukes in the first half. Duke uh, had nine steals in the second half compared to five for Louisville. I think I think I mentioned this, or this might, I'm, we might have been talking before, probably, but, like, Jack White, that's, an, I mean, five steals, four in the second half. I mean, Jack White, man, I... I what he does, like, I love that dude. Uh, he's, he's the best Aussie Dookie since Kyrie Irving. All right, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I don't think that it even needs to be said that, like, no, the sky's not falling, everything, everything's fine. The Duke team is the same Duke team as it is, but it's just, I mean, I, I, I can't remember exactly what I said at the end in terms of what I would want to change the most on the last pod. But, I mean, it really comes down to just, 
I hope this doesn't sound like a broken record. More creativity um, on offense, especially in the offensive sets. And defense, more, ex I would say, experimenting with the lineups and just sticking with what works. Unless it gets stale. But don't just kind of... I don't know. Don't just go just for offense, just for defense. Combine them both. See what works. I think even without Wendell Moore, I think there's options. I, and I think you have to find those. You can't let it get stagnant. Yeah, I think that's kind of... Uh, that might be like the main issue for the whole team right now is that we haven't... A, there haven't been that many adjustments up to this point, so... Uh, Duke's kind of easy to defend. So and... it's basically the, the, my main thing that I say every single year in the season preview of I want to see fluid adjustments. It comes down to that again. Man, that's disappointing. I, I got to say. Like, Coach K, I think he, he even will say this about himself, that he's, like, more of a leader than a coach. So he's, I don't, you know, he empowers players rather than, you know, micromanaging the game, I guess, if that makes sense. So uh, that might not be Coach K's strength, uh, but we got to see some. Obviously, it's. I think it's clearly time for some to, to make a few adjustments to the yeah, offense. I mean, up until the one-and-done era, yeah, they were kind of advanced through the four years, and they would almost coach the, the upperclassmen, coach the, younger, the underclassmen and everything like that. And then you would have the one-and-dones who were just, ridiculously good so like they'll just be able to get a bucket no matter what but what if you have guys the only playmakers you have are not guys who have been in the system in a while they need help they're good enough to be able to succeed but they still need help and the assistant coaches on duke are just guys that have played with coach k i don't want to sound like the like i mean that i, I can't even remember i think i might have been one of them who was, uh, when Steve Wojo was the big man coach, I was like, this can't, this can't how can that work? And I, at this point, I understand, like, I was an idiot. I was, I was, I was a young, stupid little kid. I was uh, 55 at that point. No, I'm just kidding. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, if a guy knows what, if a guy knows how to coach, he knows how to coach. So hopefully, just because they played for under K, I, I assume they would be able to uh, still be proficient and uh, helping him out with the X's and O's because no matter how he coaches, I mean, they're, they all play. They all played for other coaches. So I would think, I would hope, hope it would be like a team effort in a sort of way. But yeah, it's a, it's a different sort of team because he keeps calling it an old school team. But those old school teams, they always had guys who went through the system and they had more experience. So I don't, it's an old school team, but without the experience, that's tough, man. Yeah, it really is. And, I think there's some of those growing pains and learning curves in, in this team, and we're just, you know, lucky enough or unlucky enough to be witnessing it this week. Yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, how do you do? You think Baker's going to get big minutes? But let let's say it's not a blowout against Miami. Um. I mean, I'll, if Baker's healthy, I look forward to see you know 15 to 20 minutes. A game. I'm confident in that kid, man. I like, I know he's confident in himself, and that makes me confident in him. And when he when he's out there, like, he's gonna he's gonna shoot. Like, there's no hesitation in him. So, I think when he when he gets on, all it's, all it's gonna take is a couple to get him going. 
And I just think the ceiling, again, the, the thing with this Duke team is how do you find the ceiling for this team? And I think that ceiling exists with Baker, and hopefully Wendell Moore can come back in time to be able to develop chemistry and maybe be able to play at the four because, I mean, I, I joke, when he played at the four all that time versus Virginia Tech, first of all, that was more matchup-based, although I think there could be more matchups similar to that, five out, small teams. But there was only, I think, 40 seconds that he had played the four the entire season combined up until that point. It was against Georgetown. It was like three possessions. It was two possessions on offense and one on defense, and they were all like immediate turnovers. So those were his total. That was his total time playing the four. So there really wasn't anything. And after that game, that's when I predicted like I want him at the four. So it's just kind of amusing. And then I like predicting, like projecting him and Baker, and then seeing both of them get injured. I thought I was, uh, I thought I was cursing him for a while. But I, I do think at least uh, Baker's there, and hopefully Wendell will come back. And I think the biggest interesting thing will be to see how often. When and how often Hurt and uh, Kerry play together. I think that's some, that's what I'll be looking for the most from Miami. Yeah, I mean, Duke's just steamrolled Miami immediately. They've done that actually last, last year and this year. So I wouldn't mind a closer game just to see what happens. Yeah, I can't remember. How, like, does Miami – who are their bigs again? Like Cam McGusty? I don't even know. Uh, let me check here. Um Either way, I, I just know they, they blitz the hell out of likes. I mean, that's what they've done every year, and that Miami just doesn't have anyone else who can make them pay. Well, they, they have uh, Dejan Vasilovic. I feel like he's been in Miami for a decade. Um, they had Sam Wardenberg, who played pretty well in the last game, too. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I, I do hope it's a little bit closer so that we can – kind of get a feel for what kind of adjustments may have been made. The Pittsburgh game will probably be close. Um, but, yeah, it's, of course, that's over I mean, over a week from now. That's a ways off. <laughs> well, I think that sums it up. I mean, I made my, predict, my prediction uh, in the early season that the real season would start against Louisville. And, uh, I guess, unfortunately, it uh, got started one game earlier against Clemson. But Louisville was still, I mean, that is a legit team, especially with David uh, Williams. I mean, he is, uh, he's a difference maker. I mean, Louisville, they they were good to great without him. And I haven't seen any news today. Hopefully, he is uh, fine. Um, Did I say Williams? David Johnson. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Again, Again, like, Cassius in the second half, in terms of, how productive he was in all areas except basically shooting. I mean, again, he shut down Jordan Nuara. Let's not forget that. So when you have a guy that's working so hard, getting getting like battling inside for rebounds, um, ball handling more than he's used to, uh, running out in transition, guarding Louisville's best player, and he's one of the two guys that you have at the end of the game who you're depending on to create his own shot, and the other guy in terms of Trey – that's not what he naturally does. Yeah, you you gotta you gotta you gotta use Vern better. You get get Baker needs to be on the floor. I mean, he he absolutely does. That's uh, that's my opinion. So, uh, anything else to add today, uh, Shane? 
Uh, just I think down that down the stretch there, I I don't think we're ever really going to see Coach K manage the final. I mean, last year he drove the play against Florida State, but that was literally one a uh, one play opportunity. I think he's always going to let. Well, yeah, I mean, blobs are different. I mean, he's the master of the blob. I think he's always going to let Trey Jones or he's like, and he even said that in the press conference. You know, I don't. He's going to let those guys play through their instincts, and it just unfortunately, uh, they both decided to take a chance on a three instead of a two. And uh, you know, if either of those shots had gone in, we might be having a different conversation. But it's. uh, I mean, it's kind of the Grayson Allen and uh, the Trajan Langdon stuff, where it's guys that might not be to the best of their skill set, but at the same time, K trusts them. But now this year. I don't know who's the better option, so that's the dilemma there. But uh, one more—I mean, Cassius for the second straight game, he kind of blamed himself. Dude, he needs to like—I mean, he—he's lifting the team. Like, he needs to just kind of—I think—I think they're his teammates are not just gently. I think they are being uh, very aggressively reminding him, or hopefully aggressively reminding him how he's been unbelievable i mean he's really he's been a rock for the for this duke team since he's been back to kind of full health i mean he's he's a badass and i think baker will provide that attitude and again i mean it's just kind of i don't want to say treading water this is this isn't like a broken team it's still like they go nothing deep so uh but if if they can still be doing well with wendell moore back i think that will uh change everything and you don't want to just pin your hopes on someone Especially, I mean, Wendell Moore is a guy who I, don't, I, I think everyone's making it out to be like they always believed in him. I was huge on Wendell in terms of his potential. I think a lot of other people couldn't, couldn't understand why he was getting so many minutes. But I think if he had gotten the chance to kind of continue on that path of uh, development, you would have seen it. Now it's just you wonder how it'll go if he's kind of rushing it back. Hopefully he's not. But, I don't feel uh, rushing back. I I don't think, I don't think they ever do that. Really? Yeah, no. I mean, I'm not saying rushing back from injury. I'm saying like once he gets on the floor, kind of trying oh, to like quick like develop yeah. all of a sudden. And it's just like you, you got to remember. I mean, he hasn't played. In it. He's played like what, what was Miami, the third ACC game. I mean, he's barely played any. So yeah, it's just unfortunate. But man. all right. So uh, you having a big party to watch uh, Zion Fest? I will have a party, though. I might even be working that night, but I'll definitely be following it with interest, and I hope... I mean, I just... Zion is such an easy guy to love, so I hope he has a successful and long NBA career. But And it'd be awesome if he came in to, if he came on the stage and, you know, put up, like, 20 and 10 in his first game. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would be something, and... Uh... I mean, was J.J. Redick, I think he's the only player in the NBA. He's made the playoffs every single season. So yeah, I think it's going to happen this year unless he gets traded, but he has 15 or 13, 14 straight years. Yeah, so I mean, they're only a couple games out, I think. So who knows how that'll happen. I mean, either way, it's, uh, they're better than my Wizards. So my Wizards are, are a trash heap. So good. I mean, my Wizards, they, they'll just play anyone. Like, the, the people who are playing for them are just – I don't even know who they are at this point. Rui Hachimura isn't playing because he got hit in the nuts, so that was fun. 
So anyway, um, yeah, that, 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 that's all we got for now. This is yeah, this is the fourth straight game I've recorded after. It's kind of interesting. This is by far the longest one I've done after a single game because I think there is the most to take away from this, especially, in, I mean, after Miami, then they have the break. But this is the game where I thought we could learn the most about Duke. And I think it actually brought up just as many, if not more, questions. And that's – it's something to worry about, but not – but at the same time, nobody, nobody's jumping off a cliff. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not giving up on them, so. <laughs> so for uh, – I, uh, I, will, I will have much more. I'm not guaranteeing anything after uh, – my, it is Miami, right? I don't want to just like make it up that like all of a sudden they're playing a different team. They are playing Miami. Okay. Miami, yeah, yeah, Pittsburgh, and Syracuse. It's the next three. Yeah, so Tuesday, Tuesday, Miami, Pittsburgh. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, might uh, record kind of. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I, I don't know, but four straight uh, games I've recorded after. Hopefully, everyone has enjoyed. Rate and review on uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, whatever platform you use. So, for Shane Nash, this has been the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast. I am Adam Comer. Thanks so much for listening.